Welcome to what? The barf. Biff. Biff. I promise that, has, that, that, that my saying what the barf has nothing to do with any activities by my cat last night. Uh, welcome. Welcome back, everybody. Um, and uh, some big, big news just right off the bat. I'll tell, talk more about it later. But uh, we have, we are debuting, uh, premiering a Patreon page for What The If. Whatthef.com. Uh, <laughs> patreon.com slash what the if although i will also put a link on our our own webpage what the if.com but uh we'll talk more about that later if you guys are any of you familiar with patreon you know what that is um if you don't um basically it's sort of a pbs style membership kind of thing or kickstarter if you're unfamiliar with that crowdfunding we call it uh, absolutely no nothing mandatory you do not need to listen you will always be able to get the great what the if program um but those of you who have been listening for a long time or uh or just feel like helping out um we offer different levels of support uh and they all have fun names and at the higher medium to higher levels you get merch so you could you could be sipping from a what the if goblet right now you know just saying so think about it uh, patreon.com slash what the if more about that later um, Gabby, how are you? I see that my Pavlovian or powers of seduction worked and you sipped from a goblet. I did. Yeah, I, I took a, a sip of It coffee. did not have the What the If logo on it yet. It did not, which is, is a, a bummer. I'll have to stick a sticker on it just for the podcast. Uh, <laughs> I am good. I am in full COVID protocol because we're having a bit of an outbreak at the university. Uh, really? So not in frame as an N95 that I've been using to like venture out for all of my things. Uh, but I am good. Most of the people around wow. me are good. And anyone who's sick so far has been very mild. But reminder to get your boosters. And if you haven't gotten vaccinated at all, get vaccinated. Wow. So have they, like I know at Cornell uh, University, I have some connection to, they've canceled all classes and everything. Is that what's happening up at? Uh, at well, Rockstar? we don't really have classes too much. But I mean, any right. most of my stuff has still been held virtually. They just that sort would, of shut down our ability to throwing a little shade on Cornell. Throwing a little shade on <laughs> I mean, we're all shut yeah, down we don't here, too, at NYU. Um, you are? Yeah. Wow. So, unfortunately. Well, notably, isn't it yeah. class is over? Yeah, so it was the first day of exams yesterday, and the university said, if you could just not have exams, that'd be great. Um, so oh, really? We'll see how that turns Ooh. out. So they won't allow the exam to be done at home? That would well, be I think they, they knew that it would be impossible to switch over large-scale examinations with zero notice. Um, so, so I have no idea what's going to happen. So. Wow. Well, congratulations to all my um, NYU fellow students. I am an alumni. And um, we always say kids these days have it too easy. But now we can really say. Mm -hmm. You're so inclined. <laughs> so, uh, that's, that's wonderful. So, so congratulations to all of you. But I hope you all stay well. It took What's a plague to cancel finals, though. That's right. <laughs> I feel like yeah. every kid that's yeah. hoping for, you know, finals to be canceled, mm, you got your wish, but also uh, uh, genie was tricky. Mm -hmm. <laughs> You're not getting exactly what you want. Many a student, at least in my high school, tried the old fire alarm technique. Classic. This, is, yeah. uh, mm -hmm. this, is, this would be extra. Biohazard alarm. That'd be really something special. Um, we have such a special guest. I can't wait anymore. I can't wait anymore. We got to bring him in. He's, he's a long-time uh, uh, periodic guest on What The If. Never had him on enough, but love having him back whenever we can. And he, he's, you are an audience favorite. Um, are, you a, are you doctor? Uh, I, I am doctor, thank you, yes. Th that is fantastic. Dr. Kirby Runyon, welcome back. Also known as NASA Man. Hence, I, I, wore, I, yes. I wore a NASA shirt here today. You can't see it. It's a shout out to you. Oh, there it is. I see the logo. Nice well, hello. Thanks to thank you so much for having me back. It's great to be on. Yeah, and you're joining us. Are you in Maryland? I am home in Baltimore, Maryland. Yes. Oh, right on. Ooh, Marylanders oh. represent. Matt, you're on. You're on the outs. Yes. Yes. Yeah, I'm used to it. 
Yeah, this is big Maryland. Gabby and I are also from Maryland. And uh, right. I think as Kirby knows, so Kirby, you are, uh, you're at the APL, is that right? Um, That's right, I'm at the Johns Hopkins Applied Physics Lab, APL. Yep. Johns Hopkins, and I lived uh, <clears throat> right down the street from there. And in fact, uh, my stepfather, if he's listening, uh, was a, a member of uh, the, the Christmas band every year that played in the uh, auditorium at APL. So he got it. We had a lot of neighbors and friends who are scientists there who worked on missions going all the way back to Eros. And actually, prior to that, some of them even had worked yeah. on Apo Apollo. But um, I, I can share not, I, even though I had my very few years at NASA, um, I cannot say I've contributed that much to the space program, except I have perhaps played a recorder um, <laughs> or a tambourine along with hey. some of your, your colleagues. Um, that's great. Yeah. But even more excitedly, you happen to be down on Earth at the moment. Just so happened to be on Earth at the moment. <laughs> See, that's right. And uh, I'm just going to jump right into our what the if, and then we will, we will explain shortly thereafter. You come with an amazing what the if. Um, and that is what the if your laboratory flew into the air on a parabolic path with everyone inside on purpose and you paid for the privilege with somebody our taxpayers paid for the privilege to launch you like a Punkin' Chunkin'. Did your lab get Punkin' Chunkin'd into space? If, if Richard Branson did it, would it be virgin vomit? That's what I was trying to think. What would Richard Branson call it? And, you know, <laughs> Blue Origin. That's just not good. Sorry, that's not going to work. If, you're... if that's blue, go see a doctor. Go see Gabby right away. Well, you blew something while you were up there, I think, but... <laughs> And I think we have to complete the trifecta by saying, you know, I don't know what space space X is pretty good space uh, space expelled. Uh, <laughs> so now that everyone's listening, and if uh, if you've been eating your breakfast, I apologize. Today was not brought to you by the General Foods uh, Cereal Corporation, uh, but maybe brought to you by Dramamine. Um, but but that, right. here, that, let's to get serious here. This is this is something I'm amazed at, um, and this goes for you, Gabby, as well, and. And Matt, in your some of your earlier days, the lengths to which scientists will go, um, the the uh, the hazards they will bring upon them, their personal selves, mm -hmm. uh, to get research is is impressive to me. And actually, um, the, every one of the things you do sounds particularly fun. But this uh, G Force One sounds in particular. I've put it on my bucket list. I need, a rim, I need a rim shot for that. <laughs> that was not drum no, joke. That's just a drum yeah, roll. Was, mm -hmm. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> Kirby, tell us what's going on. What? How in the world? How in the yeah. world does one get the privilege in their own profession? They get paid. Did their your daily work happens uh, flying on? Yes, a yes, indeed. Plane. Uh, well, so I am professionally a planetary scientist. I, more specifically, a planetary geologist, and uh, like a lot of planets, then flies out of the crater and then re-impacts the surface and slides outward uh, as if it were an avalanche from the sky, made up of rock and debris in a deadly flow, moving away from the crater. So, to simulate that. We have a catapult that launches sheets of colored sand onto plain colored sand. And the reason that's colored is you can tell the difference between what you shot versus what you shot it onto. Mm -hmm. And uh, starting with my PhD, which I finished uh, these, uh, which I finished four and a half years ago, uh, I did this in the laboratory. We had a roughly one square meter sized human mouse trap catapult <laughs> that we would load colored gravel onto and literally I would go to Petco and buy aquarium gravel and uh, and then load it on the catapult and then launch it onto onto uh, clear-sided basically aquarium aquaria 
uh, filled with plain colored gravel, and we had high-speed cameras recording at very high frame rates so that we could see this process happen in slow motion. And then we would uh, have video of this, this beautiful curtain, this 45-degree inclined wall of, of fish gravel flying toward uh, the target. And then we could see how the gravel would mix and embed itself and then flow. And actually, the most surprising thing we saw was that like, even very deep down into the target aquarium filled with plain gravel, how much shearing we saw. Stuff just got slid down range by this, by this avalanche from the sky. Um, there's lots of fancy math you can do to then try to understand uh, how this uh, emplacement process can scale from a small laboratory scale to a thousand kilometer planetary scale. But there's one variable you can't really control. You can't control it at all really in the, on the lab. And that is, of course, gravity. Yeah. Um, uh, part, and, and so in order to really understand how this, these scaling relationships, how you can go from small to big and understand the geology that we see on planetary surfaces. And by planetary, I'm using that in the broadest sense possible, referring to anything from asteroids to the largest, uh, to, to dwarf planets, to giant planets, to terrestrial planets, the whole, whole, whole scale there. Uh, how does stuff get where it's going on a planetary surface? Um, and to, to really do this, we needed to, we needed to reduce, we needed to change the gravity level and part of the big motivation was to understand uh, how especially low gravity uh, affects the emplacement of ejecta. Thinking especially of like large asteroids and small dwarf planets and, and, oh. and moons and things like that. Oh, I see the, so, I see the so, connection so, here, yeah. And you, yeah, just, just yeah, so people so, know, you worked mm -hmm. on the, uh, uh, one of your um, uh, projects is you, you were a member of the team, the New Horizons team that visited right, Pluto yeah. and, and its right. moon, which doesn't get enough showtime. Uh, I agree. Sharon. Mm -hmm. Do you say Sharon or mm -hmm. Taron? I say Charon. Charon. Uh, our principal investigator, Alan Stern, says Sharon. Uh, both are considered correct. Honestly, <laughs> for me, it's an aesthetic uh, decision. I think Charon just sounds Oh, cool. sure. Definitely. Yeah. Definitely Charon. And in fact, one of our episodes that we did with you way back was uh, mm -hmm. a, a wonderful one in which uh, Charon is quite close and I believe tidally locked to Pluto, relatively speaking. That's it's right. Quite... Yes, both Pluto and Charon are tidally locked, so the same side of Pluto and Charon always face each other. And Charon is in a basically perfectly circular orbit. The cool thing is that you could have a space elevator connecting Charon and Pluto, theoretically, and, and you could literally, if you had enough time and, 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 and chutzpah, you could climb from one, dare I say, planet to the other planet. And, um, and, and there's no reason that couldn't work. And so it's like the perfect space elevator scenario. Apparently, I'm not the first person to have that idea. I understand there's a science fiction author from the 60s or 70s who also had that idea. Interesting. Oh, so, yeah, but our, our episode was about that. So I just tell people to go back what they yeah. com, check that out. Matt, go ahead. So you mentioned that um, in a lab, you can control everything except for gravity. And that's why we have right. to take these, these bizarre uh, circumstances. So what, why is it? Why can't we control gravity the way we control all the other things in the lab? Uh, yeah, well, we're pretty much just stuck with, with the gravity level the Earth deals us, 9.8 meters per second squared. And uh, you can... You can there, we, we, there's no such thing as an anti-gravity room that people think that so, some people I've talked to think that NASA has a room where you can turn off the gravity, and that just doesn't exist. <laughs> uh, we have we gravity is is a force of nature, is one of the four fundamental forces of the universe, and we cannot control it. Um, now there are tricks to get around it, but there's there, we, we can't black we, we can't block out gravitons, and we can't unwarp space time. Mm. So uh, if you like a particle interpretation of gravity that involves gravitons or you like the general relativity uh, thing that invokes the curvature of space-time, we can't really, we know what warps them, but we can't generate enough <laughs> independent mass or enough energy to go about warping space-time willy-nilly. Yeah. And for so, those perhaps um, younger we, we, people in the audience who may say, you know, well, I've seen it in the movies, you should know how much work it takes to make a movie, to film a movie scene that looks realistically in zero gravity. Um, I believe that, in fact, in the movie Apollo 13, uh, Ron Howard and Tom Hanks and his crew went so far as to ride the, the vomit comet um, 
mm-hmm. that you did. They built built a whole set to do that. Um, yeah. And it wasn't until I really don't know much about the story. I have to look into it. But until very recently, that aside from the IMAX movies, for instance, that the, the astronauts have filmed in space or documentaries, um, a Russian film crew went and filmed an actual movie on the space station. <laughs> Uh, yeah. recently and that has never happened before so they had right. to go into space or you know they had to they had to go to great lengths um yeah to, to get into zero gravity G- gabby you were going to say something there yeah so essentially the, the the vomit comet i don't know how many people in the audience are necessarily familiar with this i have to know what it was because i was a giant nerd as a kid and thought it was the coolest thing on earth um but essentially how is how is the vomit comet being our, our cheat around gravity because you know you're still on earth right. this thing isn't sending you up right. into space and is it right. an actual so comet? It's not even a comet. It's an airplane. It, we may it have really Boeing confused 727. people. Yeah. Oh, right it on. It is as Shout mundane out to as Boeing. a Boeing 727. Um, and uh, yeah, so we fly in these parabolic arcs. Uh, and a, par- at a parabola, as maybe some of your listeners know, is what uh, an object that is lofted close to a planetary surface, close to Earth's surface, will, will naturally follow, following Newton's laws of motion. Um, and it's the arc that something flies through the sky. And so what we do with the airplane, what the pilots do, is they pull up uh, into a steep climb around, I I think it's around 40 degrees or so, and they fly a parabolic arc just as if that plane had been, say, launched out of a giant cannon on the ground. So the plane is flying in the shape that it would fly if it had just been been pumpkin chunked into the sky, (laughs) if you will. And so because the airplane is flying in the path, that a uh, ballistically launched projectile would have flown, and therefore everything in the airplane, inside the airplane is also following that same path. There is no uh, force of attraction between anything inside the airplane and the airplane itself. So there is, there is weightlessness. And in fact, it is the exact same physics causing weightlessness as what causes weightlessness on spacecraft, say the International Space Station. In fact, you could go so far as to say that uh, because Newton's laws of motion you can treat it as though all of Earth's mass, you can treat it mathematically, uh, cheating mathematically, as though all of Earth's mass were contained in an infinitesimally small point at the center of Earth. And then if you ignore the bulk of planet Earth itself, <laughs> you could literally say that the airplane was then in a very um, uh, elliptical orbit around the center of Earth. And so in some sense, <laughs> it, it was being in orbit in the, only the classical Newtonian sense, if you cheat and pretend the planet's not there. Ah, that's no big deal. The problem is if we continued in on our orbit, we would, we would intersect the, the, the ground quickly. Yeah. Um, and, and I've so heard that's we have not good and so in aviation. It's not good. Uh, it's been colloquially called the litho breaking, litho meaning rock. <laughs> um, and is, is it the same as, is, is it also true to say that it's, in a way, the plane is following the path of, like, if, I, if, you, if, if you go to uh, a baseball game, and you watch the and the pitcher throws the, or even better, someone from outfield throws the ball all the way back to home. So you, know, you just see someone throw a ball, and it follows a long arc. Is that yep. basically the path that the plane is taking that, us? Exactly. That's a parabola. Yeah. If someone from the outfield throws a baseball, the baseball is following nearly. If you discount air resistance, a perfect parabola. Now, if that if that baseball were hollow and it were clear, and you put little Lego people inside of it. And you could track the little Lego people. You would see them floating around, doing tricks, and maybe even vomiting as that uh, ball traversed the whole way. And so, so just by visualizing what would happen inside this hollowed-out, transparent baseball, you can maybe get an intuitive sense of what's happening on the airplane. Fantastic, um, fantastic. Of and course, shout out, traveling around 500 miles an hour, and so we get the the parabola is much bigger than a baseball, and you get longer periods of uh, zero gravity, or nearly zero gravity. That's right. Uh, so we get about shout 20 out. seconds of zero gravity. Amazing. Per parabola. Shout, shout out to the, uh, to the O's. Baltimore O's. Uh, the Baltimore <laughs> Orioles at uh, Oriole Park. Um, here, here. Um, now, it's interesting, Matt, you asked. Uh, Matt, who has written a spectacular book, uh, Einstein's War, about the guy who really he knew a lot about gravity. Um, uh, did Einstein have, did he know about things like, did he say, hey, because airplanes existed, started to exist in his day. Did he think maybe this is an experiment that could be carried out? Yeah, so he wasn't thinking in terms of airplanes. He was actually thinking in terms of people falling off of buildings. 
Um, but this is the this is the thought experiment he did that gave rise to what's called the equivalence principle, which ends up becoming the foundation of general relativity. And the way Einstein phrased it was a, a freely falling person will not feel their own weight. Um, and this seems like a fairly straightforward kind of thing, but the consequences of it are, are quite important. And it's essentially uh, an argument that gravity can be relative. So we've got the Earth pulling on us right now. Um, and if you ask yourself, how do you know that gravity is pulling on? Like, how do you, do you feel gravity? The answer is actually no. Where do you feel gravity right now? You feel it in your butt right now because you're sitting in a chair. So what you actually feel for gravity is your chair pushing you back up, keeping gravity from pulling you down. So Einstein realized, perhaps after a prank at a party, um, that if you pull out that chair suddenly, then you don't feel the chair pulling on you anymore. So you don't feel gravity, even though you're still being pulled um, by the mass of the Earth. So that's Einstein's sort of realization, and that's the that's the physical basis of the vomit comet, essentially. So the the what the plane does is it just flies in such a way that you can keep falling continuously without feeling any of that pushback force. So Einstein, right. um, I don't think, would have enjoyed riding the vomit comet, um, but he sort of anticipated the the possibility of it. And maybe that's why he had stomach issues. Well, one of the reasons. It would explain a lot, frankly. Yeah. Kept imagining it. So Gabby, Gabby, so uh, 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 Kirby, you've you've brought your laboratory into this airplane. Uh And uh, what I love is that it's not just the equipment you send up there, but you guys go as well. And what does that help you do? Theoretically, you could have put a video camera there and just. We did. Yeah. Right. 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 Yeah. But you're there. Yeah, what, so, you being there, how does that uh, help you understand what's going on? Or, or oh, it's or run great the, because it means that the experiment. Yeah. Well, by getting to accompany your experiment, uh, it simplifies the experiment. There's nothing to automate. I mean, that would have priced us out by having to have engineers invent clever mechanisms of loading sand and launching it. And and honestly, that's just not within the purview of a modest NASA grant. Uh, <laughs> and it's actually just so much cheaper. And frankly, in my opinion, more enjoyable to get to accompany your experiment in the flying laboratory and, uh, and, and do experiments in reduced gravity. I'll mention, so we did 30 parabolas, 30 times to cheat gravity. Um, 10 of them were Mars gravity levels, uh, 38% that of Earth. And so we flew in a broader parabola than we would have flown if we were going for zero gravity. And then the next set of 10 parabolas were lunar gravity, 17%, or one-sixth the gravity of Earth. And then the final 10 were zero gravity. And actually, in between parabolas, it's about two Gs, two times the force of gravity. The pilot has to do a pull-up maneuver to reset for the next parabola. And we actually did some experiments during those high G accelerations uh, to see, just to continue messing with our scaling laws and seeing, and, and just extending the, we would call it a experimental parameter space, um, and, 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 and see how, how that affects things. So we had four GoPro cameras recording the ex- each experiment from different angles. And we had a small catapult. So a small cat apult is called a <laughs> kitty pult. And it's uh, literally, I don't know if I should admit this, but it's, but the catapult itself was literally uh, a, a brownie baking pan. Nice. And <laughs> Incredible. We, we, we bolted it onto a fulcrum and we put sandpaper on the inside of it so that the, the other sand that we would put inside wouldn't slip too much. And then we attached springs that we went and bought at the hardware store, McGuckin's Hardware Store from Boulder, Colorado, if you're curious. And, uh, and we had different springs uh, color-coded to make it uh, for different gravity levels. So, so we had red-painted springs for Mars gravity. We had gray-painted springs uh, or, or plain gray springs for moon gravity. And then for the hypergravity, we had them painted black because, <laughs> because black seems hypergravity yeah, to me. Because uh, on, the, on the way to a so, black hole. Yeah. So, yeah. There we go. That's it. I like it. Uh, and so, dark chocolate. Uh, we would we would load one cup uh, of 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 colored sand onto onto the catapult at a time, onto the kitty pult at a time, and then we would wait for the airplane to go over the go over the top of the hill, if you will, the top of the parabola. Um, uh, you would hear a call out from uh, the literally we have flight attendants the, from the flight attendant saying pushing over. And then pushing over is when gravity starts to go down. 
when the gravity level stabilizes at either Mars gravity, moon gravity, or zero gravity, they would say, release. And, and basically, that's around then that we could actually launch the catapult. Yeah. Uh, and so, you know, I'd feel my body weight and not just like the, 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 the force on my legs. I was sitting cross-legged or kneeling uh, during the high G pull-up, but every, like, <laughs> my face, my cheeks, uh, the, your, <laughs> your body fluids on the inside would all of a sudden get very light and you could feel this very easily. And so um, I would feel gravity go down and then I would launch the catapult and we'd see this sheet of sand go and gently just very surreally fly through the air slower than seemed natural because it was very unnatural. Uh, these very slow motion grains go and impact the surface and mix with the, with the sandy surface. And so we did that 10 times for Mars, 10 times for the moon and uh, like four times for hypergravity and like four times for for zero-ish zero gravity. It was actually wow. somewhere between zero and moon gravity where a lot of those experiments happened. So very appropriate for like an asteroid. And over um, what period of time are you doing all the, like how long a day is this? Oh, the, the entire flight itself, we were probably from wheels up to wheels down is probably about two hours or maybe two and a half hours. <laughs> that is much faster than I imagined. That's oh, wow. Of, that's so it's up and down yeah. and up. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and so we had to prepackage all of our colored sand into individual Ziploc or like uh, clamp tight containers that we, I, I just bought a bunch on Amazon really uh, from like the food storage section. And uh, we used literally a one cup baking cup to, to, to get the right amount of sand in each one for consistency. Um, you know, we only use metric or US units when it's convenient. And one cup was a convenient amount for this experiment. Um, it, I mean, maybe I shouldn't even admit this, but it was very much NASA funded garage science that will, that will yeah. nevertheless have, uh, planetary, planetary consequences. Um, and, and so we're still, we're just starting to analyze the data now. Um, but I'm hoping that these data that we're collecting will help interpret the images, including the compositional spectral images that we get on asteroids, like the giant asteroid Psyche, this metal world that the spacecraft psyche is is going to and launching in 2022 uh to go visit um wow. the lucy mission to jupiter's trojan asteroids just launched a few months ago yeah and so the images we get back from that will show ejected deposits around other craters and we're hoping that you know based on some of our experiments we'll better be able to understand the geologic processes that gave rise to the uh stunning images that we're going to see from these uh from these small bodies um we also just launched the DART spacecraft to literally go change the orbit of a small asteroidal moon. This is the first experiment that humankind is performing on the cosmos itself uh, to alter the, <laughs> alter the orbit of celestial bodies. And uh, a European spacecraft will uh, image that impact happen. And uh, hopefully some of the experiments will, and that will create ejecta that will, some of it will get reaccreted, mm -hmm. will fall back on that small asteroidal moon called Dimorphos. And hopefully some of the experiments that we're doing to help us understand that process just a little bit better. Right. Um, but our, Although, our experiments will also be applicable to the moon and Mars and other, and other low gravity worlds. Yeah. Now, to be fair, and I think was it an APL um, run uh, mission to um, deep impact that hit? Uh, uh, that was that was not an APL run mission that uh, uh, I mean, I, I think JPL did that. I'm not sure. It was okay, definitely good. a NASA funded mission. They hit. Um, they maybe hit that was a the comet. first experiment. Well, yeah, they they hit the comet simply to just just dig, basically rise some get get some material up floating so they can see right. what it is. As opposed to Dart, yeah. the amazing thing about Dart is that to see can we redirect an asteroid um, right. intentionally right. that might be headed towards the Earth. So after um, you Gabby, spend a, I'm sorry, go oh, ahead, Gabby. Go ahead. I didn't have a question. Matt, oh, Matt had something to say. So after okay. a couple hours of um, shooting sand around. Who vacuums up the inside of the plane? That's got to be incredibly oh. messy. That, that's a great question. Well, what a rough job. Well, actually, yeah, uh, it, it was a very messy experiment. Fortunately, we had constructed an acrylic glove box. Uh, so all the sand was contained inside yeah. this glove box, and none of it really got out into the plane. Uh, this glove box, I mean, it's, it was, you know, six feet long, four feet wide, and it had uh, six armholes drilled into it with neoprene gloves attached on there so that we so that three people could put both their arms inside the glove box manipulate everything that needed to happen um we had these long skinny target trays that plain colored sand would be in we'd launch five colored sand shots onto each one and then uh stow that and get another fresh one out and do some more experiments 
So all the sand was contained inside this glove box. Now that glove box uh, uh, has been FedExed back to uh, our um, to Boulder, Colorado. Uh, the Southwest Research Institute was our uh, collaborating agent uh, uh, organization on this experiment, and that's where the glove box was built. And so it's going back to Southwest Research Institute, and uh, at some point, me or somebody else will go vacuum it out with a shop nice. back. <laughs> See, I'm curious, Gabby, as a scientist, but from a completely different field, how do you, um, what question might you have for Kirby in terms of how is this converted to, like, how do they get, what do they do with this data? Well, I mean, honestly, my main question was like the, his experimental setup, which he's answered really oh, interestingly, because uh -huh. I mean, yeah. you know, as a scientist, one of the interesting things is, well, how are you answering this question? And considering the extra fact of you are experiencing multiple different shades of gravity during your time doing it. Yeah, yeah. Essentially, the, the mess question that Matt has was uh, very much like mine. I mean, I'm assuming from um, this you're getting, though, you're getting essentially modeling data. So that yeah. if you look at the surface of an asteroid, you can sort of reverse construct what happened based on some of the models that you've developed at different gravities. That's exactly right. Yeah, we're, we're being able to, uh, to like reverse engineer what we see happening on asteroids or, 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 larger, or larger worlds. That's exactly right. Um, and this sort of thing, there are computer codes that can model this, but you're always left wondering how accurate is the model? What haven't we thought of? Um, you know, there's nothing, there's nothing quite like real life <laughs> uh, to do experiments with. Um, I will say, uh, dear, we weren't quite sure what was going to ha happen with the zero gravity parabolas and lots of sand. The, the Mars gravity, the moon gravity were really what this experiment were, were built for. Um, and I will say, hmm. during the, some of the zero gravity experiments, we were shocked. We, we had these, we ha so we had, we had been putting like multiple colors of sand catapulted down on top of each other. So we had this nice like pancake layering of colored sand. And on some of the zero gravity parabolas, that sand just floated up. And what completely surprised us was how cool it looked. I kind of naively thought it'd be like this dispersed cloud of sand on the inside, but no, the sand sort of acted in aggregate like a granular fluid. It, it was like this slow motion splash of colored sand against the plexiglass sides of it. And sometimes there were like these thin tendrils, these streamers of sand rising up from the target box. And it was completely counter to anything that we had visualized might happen. And that really wasn't part of our scientific investigation, but who knows, maybe that will end up being some serendipitous discovery or finding or something that could apply to something yeah. else. Not sure if that's useful, but it looked really cool while it was happening and, and surprised us. So, um, Will yeah, we get it, to um, see and, these? Will these videos ever get posted somewhere? Can we watch what I am? Yeah, I I, I hope to be able to post these videos. Yeah, um, that sounds. You're gonna, I, have, the the coolest, you're gonna have the coolest supplementary yeah. materials of any paper I've ever seen. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. I could yeah. just see yeah, the soundtrack is yeah. is going to be fantastic. You know, uh, I think oh, we should I'd get Brian a soundtrack. You... Brian Eno on this. Yeah, it would be fantastic. Mm -hmm. Um. Another thing I find amazing is, you know, Einstein said, uh, I believe, right, when he was a kid, is this right, uh, uh, Matt, that he imagined when he was like 16 or something, he imagined, what would it be like to ride alongside a beam of light, mm -hmm. right? Just so he, he thought, he thought, if I could study it, if I could ride alongside it, I might be, it, it goes by so fast, normally, but if I could ride alongside mm -hmm. it, it would be, I would be able to observe and, and interest, find, find something interesting. And here it's sort of like the idea that you could almost, you know, and you can do these experiments. You can you can you can do simulated asteroids. You could even imagine, um, you know, being on the moon hopefully someday or Mars and watching an asteroid, you know, come down. But here you are getting a chance to basically ride alongside the asteroid, um, and, and and just watch the the entire process. Yeah, and it's amazing place. how that. Yeah. What seems like, I don't know, a fairly straightforward thing, what if I was running alongside the beam of light or alongside the asteroid, turns out to have really profound physical consequences. So in this case, it's uh, what if uh, I ran alongside the spacecraft, effectively, or the, the, um, the aircraft, essentially, um, and that lets us manipulate <laughs> one of the fundamental forces of nature, right? Just something as straightforward as that. Let's just go for a ride and 
when the airplane hits a particular angle, it turns out we can manipulate gravity in some in some important sense, right? We can we can transport ourselves to other places in the universe uh, as though we were doing science there. And it's a lot cheaper than actually going to Mars. This weight it is a lot cheaper than going to Mars. Though that you're experiencing, you would essentially experience the same thing if you jumped out of an airplane just with wind resistance, right? Or is it different because you're specifically yeah, that's, that's in the parabola? Important... Right. That's an important uh, caveat you mentioned, Gabby, because when you jump out of an airplane, you are weightless until you get close to terminal velocity. About I think it's about 120 miles an hour for a person. And then you're not really weightless. And so weightlessness on an airplane or weightlessness in space is not like jumping out of an airplane. It's not like scuba diving. It's not like swimming. It is like nothing else you can experience. Um, and, and I've been fortunate enough to do parabolic flights a number of times. I had my 100th overall parabola on this most recent flight. Ooh, wow. Um, and uh, wow. so I had a celebration uh, partway through our flight. And um, it, it is like nothing else. You, you don't realize it, but even like your cheeks are under <laughs> incredible tension right now. And to completely relax in zero gravity, I've done that a number of times where I don't try to do tricks or roll or bounce off the walls. I just completely go limp and let my, and my, your arms float out naturally in front of you. Your face feels incredibly relaxed because there's nothing pulling the blood and the tissue down anymore. And, and you just, you just, you're just completely free and it's disorienting. You float places, you don't know how you got there and that's fine. <laughs> um, but it is one of the most freeing sensations you can possibly feel. Wow. And so that's why I recommend that anyone who can possibly uh, get to experience this to do that, the Zero Gravity Corporation, GoZeroG.com. Um, <laughs> they don't just do NASA-funded flights. They also do flights for the general public, uh, for anyone who wants to buy a ticket. Oh, wow. And so people can go experience this, GoZeroG.com. They're not paying me to say that. Um, I think our new it. top, le I think this is going to have to be a new top-level Patreon reward. What if, you know, <laughs> level. for us, it would have to be, you know, the $20,000 reward maybe level would be uh, for the, uh, for a flight. Um, <laughs> would be a what the if, all right. Yep. Um, now, Kirby, I have to ask, you are well on your way to becoming an astronaut, I think. Oh, I hope so. Are you going to be one? Are you applying? I don't even have any idea how one does that, but... Oh, uh, yes. Well, I, I have applied uh, twice and I've been rejected twice. Uh -huh. uh, most, most recently last week. Thank you for reminding me. <laughs> oh, oh, my no. goodness. Sorry. Always at Christmas so, they do to give you the bad news, right? Yeah, always at Christmas. And, <laughs> and so, so last week NASA announced its new class of astronauts. There were 10 new astronaut candidates out of 12,000 applicants. I was one of those wow. 12,000. Um, and I got a very polite uh, rejection letter after they announced the new astronaut class. Um, but they picked amazing people who are going to go out in space and hopefully go to the moon and do amazing things. Uh, yeah. Very smart people and very capable people, and I I'm sure they chose well. I'm, of course, hoping to find a way to space myself, um, whether as a NASA astronaut or as a commercial private astronaut. If you even if you want to, if you even want to use the label astronaut for someone who right. uh, for a private citizen who mm -hmm. just flies in space, I don't care. I don't need the label astronaut. I just want to fly in space. Yeah. Um, yeah. And. Uh, and uh, yeah, so so working on it. Hopefully, uh, hopefully we're coming to a time in history where anyone who reasonably wants to go to space will have a reasonable shot of going to space through new commercial means. So that'd be pretty cool. It is Haven't amazing how, hope. how things are coming along. Yeah, are you yeah. able to say? It's very early in your data gathering there on this, this these experiments. Are you able to say uh -huh. anything? Were there uh, um, surprises or things? Uh, what what? Uh, like, in fact, I'm interested with the paper that comes out. Might it, is it going to be the kind of thing of, like, I guess you're describing a model. So it's more like a process. You will, the finding of the paper will be, this is the process, or might there be specific mechanisms or something that you discover? I, so, yeah, that's a good question. I think for this first experiment, our biggest report will be um, the velocity of the impacting ejecta and how big of a surface area it was impacting along. Because as this inclined mm. curtain impacts the surface, you know, there's like a footprint, if you will, of the curtain that gets deposited that moves, moves away from the catapult. And it's not going to be like this big, sexy discovery thing. It's going to be, okay, we're starting to parametize this. Now, we have a mm. second flight lined up for roughly a year from now, end of 2022, um, where we can apply lessons learned from this past flight and gather new data. And for, this, for the second flight, what... I mean, one finding from our from this past flight is that we need higher 
image resolution data. And in fact, I think what we found was that higher resolution data will be more important than capturing it at a high frame rate so that we can do slow motion. Um, we, mm. we did not do a good job resolving or seeing the individual grains of sand uh, mm. on this last one. And, we, and, and I think we need to see that on our second flight. So um, by getting the velocity, the size distribution, we can start, um, we can start part of the scaling process of, of scaling from uh, laboratory size to planetary size. But one of the things that we need is to be able to look at how much sand was eroded uh, compared to how much sand was emplaced. We know how much sand was emplaced. It was one cup. And if you know the density of sand, you can get how much mass was emplaced. But it, right now, we don't have good data on how much sand was eroded, how much mass of sand was eroded. And I think that's something we'll get on our second flight. And so I'm hoping we get two peer-reviewed papers uh, coming out of this. Uh, the first one will be sort of a, an intermediary uh, first look at the data, start being able to say some things about it. And then the second paper will really uh, hopefully tie up all the loose ends and, and allow us to have some pretty robust scaling relationships. So um, the, it, it was very much intentional that we budgeted for, for two of these flights so that we could apply, because we knew we were going to learn things on our first flight that we couldn't have known going in, really. Right, um, right. And, and now, so, do the peers know, we'll, who we'll do be... the review, do they have to fly as well? It seems only fair. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. I mean, the way the academic peer review process is, it, it's, not, it's not that equitable. <laughs> it's if you want to get if you want to get published yourself, you have to review other people's papers and be a good scientific citizen. Right. And, right. Um, All right. Fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah. Uh, Gabby, any last uh, uh, questions for Kirby? Ah, uh, yeah, I do actually have one. So this was sand being thrown at sand, uh, essentially just modeling the ejecta that's coming from the initial impact, but assumably not all you know stellar body space. Things in space are made of sand. So are you planning on doing any sort of modeling with, you know, you said your, your PhD was with fish tank gravel. Um, yeah. Any different materials to see how that changes or whether or not they all behave similarly to sand? Because that would be its own interesting discovery. Right. No, that's a really great question, Gabby. And, and I think what you're really fundamentally asking is, well, what I'm, what I'm hearing in that is, Okay, all of our sand, all the sand grains are basically the same size, roughly. Yeah. Uh, but on a planetary surface, you've got boulders and you've got little grains of sand and you've got cobbles and everything in between. And yeah, you're right. That's not something that we've been simulating on these experiments. But but if we were to do that, that that would uh, maybe in some ways be more geologically relevant. On the other hand, it's really good to have certain aspects of the experiment that are very simple. In other words, having grains of all the same size so that we can see more consistently what some of the scaling relationships are. And um, Gabby, you gave me an idea for, for my next grant proposal. Uh, <laughs> we got to do this again, NASA, but with uh, different size grains. Um, I will say that if you did this with too thick of grains, then the deposit of, of sand on sand or gravel on gravel would, might only be one grain thick and, as opposed to being a bunch of grains thick. And then it's hard to tell. Whenever you have a model layer, uh, it, it's hard to tell what's going on necessarily with that. So one reason we chose sand and not gravel was so that the deposit would be thick relative to the size of the grains we're using. It's always a struggle um, but, between but, complexity and control. Mm -hmm. We have that in biology too exactly. all the time. So, well, you could add this, this, and this. And it's like, well, I'm not going to be able to really control what I'm looking at. But yeah. Right. That's a good analogy between our two fields, Gabby. Yeah. I think it's just um, a science. And, and, and I, uh, I'll, I'll end by saying, I'm, I'm, maybe I should knock on wood. I don't know. I'm very proud of the fact that I had no stomach awareness I didn't get <laughs> sick at all wow, on this right flight. On. No, no queasiness. Um, uh, and and I, our engineer will go unnamed, but this individual who was very, who I'm very glad was on this flight, and this person was very excited to be on this flight as well. They they deserve to be. Um, this person got sick on the third parabola out of thirty, and um, and and had to spend the rest of the flight back in the seats. Fortunately, we had enough personnel redundancy. We were able to complete the experiment. And this individual still had a lot of fun after they were done um, emptying themselves into a bag and, <laughs> uh, and still got to play around in, 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 in weightlessness. So um, about 10% of people get sick on these flights, but, um, but, but, it, but it's all in the name of science, yeah. so it's worth it. Well, another reason why you should be qualified to be an astronaut, Hope maybe on the next round. Well, thank you. There's got to be a box, which yeah. is, you know, do you get, how are you in zero G? Feel good? <laughs> you get one great. point. Mm -hmm. You get That'd one point. Uh, Matt, would you like to ride the uh, 
the yeah, final comment. That'd be great for I'll, science. I'll also figure out a way to get NYU to pay for it. Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I think the whole podcast needs to be done from these things. Mm-hmm. I think. Sounds right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Two hours fun. is more than enough time. It's fantastic. I will say there there is a a YouTube channel that has uh, done a video on this airplane. They ate no pizza. Way. They ate pizza in zero gravity. <laughs> <laughs> That's daring. <laughs> That's it. Actually, I am. I, I am. Well, I I do love. Uh, um, I mean, aerospace is something I'm absolutely fascinated by. I absolutely love it, and I've watched. I love watching YouTube videos with pilots and and uh, flight engineers and all that kind of stuff, uh, mechanics. Um, you know, Bill Nye was a uh, actually a fly, worked for Boeing. In fact, was an engineer for Boeing. That's right. Um, I'd love to to talk to a, a crew that flies these things. Like, how do they do that? They have a button that, for the for the different types of arcs. You know, ah, Mars, just <laughs> Mars autopilot. That's right. Yeah. Amazing. The, the pilots are very proud of the fact that all of these parabolas are hand flown. Is that wow. right? That's pretty. Wow. wow. Yeah. Wow. That's probably because both. Boeing is loath to put it in autopilot feature Probably, that yeah. has zero gravity. An um, autopilot feature that features notably diving straight towards, or not quite straight, diving but towards, towards the ground. Yeah, yeah that could be awesome. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Best just to leave that uh, that feature out, but uh, wonderful. Kirby, thank you, thank you so much. So much. My imagination is stirring. Um, and I think you mentioned that chutzpah was one of the uh, things you need. So if there's that factor, I might have that. I might have a little bit of chutzpah. You might have that going. Yeah. Yeah. If I can put that on my resume, that'd be fantastic. Um, thank you for listening. Um, anybody has questions for Kirby? Uh, uh, shoot us an uh, email. At, uh, you can email us at feedback at whattheif.com or just go right to our website, whattheif.com, and you can contact us there. Um, also, I'd love to see, as, as we say, go to patreon.com slash what the if and uh, let us know what you think of the page. Does it, uh, does it look cool? It's all new, very new. Um, so give us your thoughts. We'd love to know. And all kinds of merch. You can get uh, stuff with our logo on it. You can get mugs. You can get T-shirts. You can get a hoodie. Uh, Joshua, are you still there? This, seems, I'm, yeah, this is totally like uh, he's made a break for it. This is like, yeah. Um, my, uh, we have a fantastic uh, new team member, Joshua Reinstein, is here. And uh, sir, <laughs> thank you, thank you. Um, am I missing out any? Any? What's your favorite reward on the Patreon? Joshua is still coming in from the vomit comet. Uh, he's we've lost him. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> thank you joshua thank you for all your hard work you guys will all be hearing more from joshua in, in the future <laughs> excellent uh gabby anything you want to plug nothing besides get your booster shots stay safe it's around the holidays i know everyone wants to do stuff and you know see each other but remember if you've got you know immunocompromised loved ones uh be careful for them indeed be indeed. careful for them i got my booster shot already good yeah, right on. Um, Matt, any uh, anything you would like to plug? Uh, let's see here. It's a little early, but I'll be speaking at One Day University virtually on January 4th uh, about Isaac Newton, actually. So maybe we'll talk a bit about gravity and laws of motion on that. Oh, fantastic. Is that something people can register for now? Um, I don't think so, but probably in the next week or so. Okay. I'll give you a nudge. Okay, yeah. We'll, we'll uh, put out some more about that. That sounds uh, absolutely fantastic. I would like to give a plug for those of you who are uh, you're still looking for uh, gifts to buy for any upcoming holidays or just because you love science um, and history. Matt's uh, fantastic book, Einstein's War, is, uh, is available everywhere. Um, is there a particular source you'd like people to go to? Um, to get no, their Einstein's I, War? I think I get the same pittance regardless. So I'm... Uh... Okay. Okay. I do know I'm not, I'm not pushing Amazon above any of the others. I just know that I happened to, I was curious one day and I shop at Whole Foods, uh, which is owned by uh, Jeff Bezos. And uh, when he was going up in space, I was curious and I calculated that uh, one head of lettuce, which is $5 at Whole Foods, I, you know, it's, it's not, no, no, no pittance, but um, uh, using that as a, as a, uh, some sort of tool of measurement, I calculated that 
uh, I believe for every dollar you spend on a Jeff Bezos project, you launch him two inches uh, into orbit. So it's not unreasonable. You know, it's not bad if you're into that. If you uh, keep buying, can you just keep him going? Like, can can he just keep going? Not out of orbit. Just just keep going. (laughs) (laughs) That's an interesting incentive right there. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, well, for anyone who bought, uh, uh, <laughs> anyone who bought Elon Musk's Tesla is done fine. That that thing is still going. But you're right; he's not on board yet. So <laughs> it's funny. The, I I'm, I must say I love the fact that William Shatner went up there was amazing. That turned out to, for anyone I who is that. not. I just want to give a shout out to that. To his watch, if you thought it was a joke or whatever. Watch just the moment, just go on YouTube and find the moment that William Shatner comes out when he's just landed and he comes out and he, and he talks for quite, a, quite at length about it and uh, about his experience. It's quite, quite beautiful. Philip, could I, could I comment on that right quick? Yeah. Um, I, I, and, and I'd like to, little selfish plug here. Uh, I, have, I have an op-ed in the Baltimore Sun uh, uh, entitled, entitled, Why Go to Space? You Might As Well Ask Why Make Music. And I quote William Shatner's reaction extensively because it is eloquent and it is beautiful. Yeah. And it helps answer the question, why more people need to experience spaceflight, in my opinion. So that op-ed is on uh, the Baltimore Sun's website. That's fantastic. I will find that link and, uh, and put that on our, on our site. My dad was the uh, sports writer for the Baltimore Sun many years ago. Oh, hey. Yes. So we made that other people were Yes, a fine newspaper. Support journalism. Yes, I'll that sounds wonderful, Kirby. Oh, I can't wait to read that. So wonderful. All right, everybody. Thank you very much. Um, uh, stay tuned. You know, each week we come back. And uh, Kirby, I don't know if you remember the ritual, Gabby. If you want, want to remind um, Kirby of the, the our protocols as we end the show, our safety protocols. Yeah. As, uh, so uh, we as we, this- you know, put out the landing gear, come out of the last parabola, and uh, avoid a litho breaking <laughs> maneuver. Uh, we cannot help <laughs> but realize how many more things, how many more ifs are still out there uh, in the universe in various forms of uh, experiencing various forms of gravitational force. And uh, we cannot help but shout the name of the show. Yes. So give me a, give me a countdown. Three, two, one. 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 Happy holidays, everyone. Happy Festivus to all the rest of us and uh, any holidays you you celebrate. Here's to another day of gravity down here at the bottom of the gravity well. May your experiences be well. And uh, every day you go out and um, you feel your butt on your chair. Remember Kirby up there. Flying above you, chunkin' pumpkin for science. We'll see y'all next week.